So I want to back up into the last couple of verses of chapter 7 just to, to give a different perspective than what we looked at last week where it, it says, I have found, in verse 27. And then in verse 27, I'm reading from the New King James, um, to the other to find out. And then in verse 28, it says, I cannot find. Verse 28, again, it says, I have found. And again, in verse 28, I have found. And in verse 29, I have found. So it's the same word uh, in the Hebrew. Um, so he's, he's talking about this idea of finding out. Well, it, 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 it means to learn or to discover or to try to gain some type of understanding. To learn or discover or try to gain some type of understanding. And so he, he says, this is what I've found. This is what I've learned. This is what I have discovered. Adding one thing to the other to find out the reason uh, which my soul still seeks but I cannot find. So he's adding one thing to the other. What he's doing is he's trying to understand people and why they do the things that they do. And, and I, uh, I um, used to work for a guy. I was his assistant pastor. And uh, he was always trying to figure out why people did what they did. And and it drove him crazy. Um, this I probably ought to suggest this verse to him, and maybe he can put it on his tombstone. Um, <laughs> and uh, because he he was always trying to figure people out, and then he'd get really frustrated, and so he'd go, "Come on, Mike, what's wrong with them?" I mean, he that's what he would literally do. And so you guys wonder why we left South Tahoe, but anyway, um, such as it is. But he was trying to piece these things together. Now, people can operate in what appears to be a logical way, right? And then comes the exception. All of a sudden, they do something different. Um, I mean, it's like driving your truck down the road, right? I mean, you drive down in a logical way, and it was slippery on Monday. Uh, I, re- I remember I was here uh, and had to drive into town or drive home. And, you know, you think you're doing fine, you think you're doing fine, you think you're doing, then you hit that wet spot or that slippery spot or that sheet of ice or whatever the case may be, and all of a sudden the car has a mind of its own. And um, that's that. And the rest is history. And you get you get a story to tell on Wednesday night. So, uh, but, but it's much more really that way with people. I think once you have people figured out, then they, they will go ahead and do something to make you realize that you really don't have them figured out at all. And, you know, again, this is Solomon, and he's, he's using the wisdom he has to try to gain even more wisdom. And he's saying, this is what I have discovered. Um, adding one thing to the other. This person, you know, given, given a set of circumstances, this person does this, right? You know, I, it was like I, there was a, a guy I used to pastor in Ben, and in the summertime, he wore the same red polo shirt and the same tan shorts every time I saw him. 
maybe he had a closet full of red polo shorts and tan shorts. I or red polo shirts and tan shorts. I don't know, but he every time I saw him, that's what he had on. And uh, eventually the temperature changed, and so eventually he wore jeans and got rid of the polo shirt as well. I can't even remember what kind anyway. But, but just when you thought you had it figured out, because I remember that first year we were here, it was as if somebody flipped a switch, and Labor Day, it went from like mid-70s to all of a sudden in the 40s, just like that. It's like, what did we move to? You know, and so it was... Uh, uh, so, what this what, and chapter seven is really trying to underscore that we don't really know as much as we think we know, which is an affront probably to all of us um, because I think we want to at least think that we know things. And do we know things? Yes, we do know things. And but. There's always exceptions to the rule. The, 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 phrase, the, ter- the word that's used for it is outliers. There's always something who, who marches to a little bit different beat. And uh, he's saying, you know, adding one thing to another to find out the reason. In other words, the purpose behind why does this person do the thing that he does? Um, which my soul still seeks but cannot find. Same word again is found. I cannot discover, I cannot understand, I cannot learn about. Um, so this is where he launches into the saying that we talked about last week. So he's trying to discover through behavior and, and the things that people do who they are. And then he's realizing that isn't going to make any sense. And so then he says, one man among A thousand I have found, or discovered, or learned about, or understood. But a woman among all these I have not discovered, or learned about, or understood. So that really kind of changes, I think, the shift of what he is saying here, and he's he's not coming across so such as, as someone who hates women. He's not misogynistic here. I don't think he's, he's, that's what's going on. I think, I think one thing, the thousand is, is kind of a hyperbole. In, in, remember, the, the, in Jewish writing, they will exaggerate to make the point. And, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a friend of mine, he was a pastor, and he used to love to exaggerate and, you know, talk about the thousands of people who came to Christ under his ministry every year and, you know, yeah. But it wasn't nearly the case. But, I mean, he exaggerated quite a bit. Um, and so so I don't think he's being uh, an, oppo- opposed to women as much as, well, like, remember, or 700 wives, 300 concubines, he probably didn't spend a whole lot of time with them. Plus he had kids. Or he probably didn't spend a whole lot of time with really anybody. Um, and yet he's on this West to try to understand life. So um, you can't understand people, right? Again, just when you think people are predictable, they will do something to make to let you know that they're not. I actually experienced that this week. But uh, just when you think you got them figured out, you don't. 
And, um, but he said, this one thing I have learned, this one thing I have found, this one thing I have discovered, or that I have understood that man made God upright. What does that mean? That man walks upright? God, yeah, he, sinless. Yeah, he created man and put him in the garden. What I always find fascinating was how long were they there? I have no answer to that. A day, a week, an hour, years, decades, centuries? We have no idea. But he made man upright. He made man perfect, but they have sought out many schemes, many different plans, many different ideas of what I'm going to do to get what I want. And it, it's, the word scheme is not, a, it's not really a positive word. It, it, it doesn't imply deceit, but close to it. But this idea of, I think what you have here too is in one verse, it, it's kind of touching on what Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 5, with the works of the flesh and the work of the Spirit. Or the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And because people will do whatever it is that they need to do to get what they want, within reason. Some, and that is the, that's the, the, uh, the million-dollar phrase, within reason. Because what is within reason to me may not be what it is in reason to others. And then you have my former pastor going, what's wrong with him? You know, and uh, which he did quite regularly. It's like, I don't know how we survived there. But anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I basically, it was, I shouldn't tell you this. But at one point I offered him, he wanted, to, he was doing a Bible study down in the valley, in the Carson Valley. And down there were all the people that were his idols or that loved him. And I said, why don't you take all those people and start a church down there, and I'll take care of all the problem people here in Lake Tahoe. And uh, <laughs> I'm okay with them, you know. I, you know, I, I, I guess because I'm a problem person, I, I could relate to them well. But uh, he actually passed on that. But then we ended up here. So but that's how that works, right? So, and that's okay, too, because when I think about five feet of snow in a weekend, and here we get maybe five inches, um, I'm good with that, among other things. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of a different perspective on verse 28. I don't know if that does for you or not. Um, And again, you have to read it within the framework of that culture. And and that's where that creates more problems than I'm even going to want to bother to get into tonight or maybe any night on that. So verse 1 of chapter 8. So then it asks the question, okay, because they have sought out many schemes. You see, I don't see a chapter break here. I I think verse 1 of chapter 8 could have gone into chapter 7 pretty easily. Because man, God God has made man upright and they have sought out many schemes. Who is like a wise man and who knows the interpretation of a thing? And a man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. Now, do you see a, do you see a 
almost like a paradoxical contradiction there in verse 1. He says, he's asking the question, who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretations of a thing? I, I thought that was interesting because a thing could mean almost anything, right? Using the word to define the word, right? It could mean whatever you want it to mean. He asks the question, but then he goes on and he says, the man's wisdom makes his face shine and the sternness of his face is changed. So, what is this talking about? Remember, it comes on the heels that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So then, who was like a wise man? He's asking for a definition then. If they have sought out many schemes, define for me, he's saying, what a wise person is. It's kind of what he's saying here. And who knows the interpretation of a thing? In other words, part of what he's saying again is that we don't really know to the extent that we think we know. And that makes it difficult, particularly because we live in a day and age that really values things like certainty, absoluteness, being able to know that you know that you know that 2 plus 2 always equals 4. I was hoping something. Anyway, 2 plus 2 equals 4. I mean, that's how we were really, if you think about it, that's how we were brought up. That's how we were really, even in school, that's how we were raised. And how we were, how our culture conditioned us. That's modernism to the core. You know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? So it's predictable. And that does work to a degree in physics until you get into quantum physics and then all bets are off. I'm not going to go down that, right? No? Don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But, yeah, it's... um, that's what happens if you watch too many Star Trek episodes, which I, I try to refrain from at all costs. But, but nonetheless, um, if you watch it, I don't care. Um, so, right? Yeah, it's not a bad thing. But uh, a man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the sternness of his face, or the hardness, what, what else does any of you have for the back half of verse 1? The sternness or the hardness of his face? Anything else? Go ahead and just read it out. The strength of his face? Hard appearance. Christian Standard Bible says what? Sternness. Softening of harshness? Softening is harshness. Okay. What does the ESV say, Cindy? I'm too lazy to open mine. Hardness? Okay. Brian, do you have anything else to throw out there from one of the the million translations that you normally use? Okay. Which hers? Okay. What is that? What translation again? I always forget your translation. So do you. Okay. New Living Translation. Okay. So, 
strength. Yeah, it's the, the Hebrew is a little weird here. I didn't want to get into that because I, I have a hard enough time just dealing with when it's not weird. Um, and what I've found particularly in Old Testament writings with those who are Hebrew scholars, and the Hebrew is a little bit ambiguous, it's not quite clear, um, they'll run with it. A lot of these, these Hebrew scholars, they'll run with it as far as the interpretation. You know, and it's like, again, it's almost like the Midrash where you put 10 Jews in a room and you end up with 12 different opinions. And so that, that really becomes a little hard to, for me to kind of wade through after a while when I'm trying to, to put this together as a study. But um, so it's the relationship between these two lines in this one verse it's a little bit obscure, um, and it, it's, it's, to me, it's hard to, to grasp. Now, but I think of the, those who are wise, and it makes their face shine. Can you think of two people, particularly in the Bible, that would possibly fit that description? They're both in the Old Testament that I'm thinking of. Moses is one. Yeah, Moses and Daniel. Dan- Daniel. Uh, was Daniel a wise man? Yeah, he worked in, in, in the, the court of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what's interesting about Daniel, there we go, Daniel 1. Remember the story in Daniel 1? where they wanted them to eat the non-kosher foods. And Daniel, and uh, I think I got their names in here. Um, I'm looking for their Hebrew names, but um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, it's, but it's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their Hebrew names, okay? That's Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, Daniel's three sidekicks. Um, so they wanted them to eat the same rich foods that the Babylonians ate. And they wanted to just go on this. And, of course, this, this is what prompted the Daniel diet, which I'm not going to go down that path tonight. Um, do what you want. How's that? Um, but I'm looking at chapter 2, and I wonder why I'm having trouble. But it said, so they, uh, they asked to be able to eat, let them eat, let us, in verse 12, please let your servants for 10 days, let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in the flesh than all the young men who ate the portions of the king's delicacies. Okay. So they ate kosher, and they actually looked better. Their faces shined, if you will. Now, was that, was that have anything to do with wisdom at all? Because you're eating better. It's wise to do so. 
were they following Torah? They were, I think. It's possible. I'm projecting, all right? So don't, don't kill me on this one, Brian. He's got that look on his face. It's possible that some of the Nebuchadnezzar's food were not kosher. Could have had some pork. Um, so where's the wisdom in that? It's in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs 9. And so that's, I don't think that's a stretch, personally. Because I don't always like to stretch that much. I know some of you might think that might be a stretch, but I don't think it's a stretch. Which we see in Daniel 3, do we not? The dream. So he was able to interpret the thing. Therefore, what? What happened? Things went well with him. And when things go well with him, what normally happens? Are you, do you have a... a Right. So no. So I, I think you're 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 just looking at the end result of what happened in the background. That's all. And, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Well, and, yeah. But <laughs> but he's vowed not to do that. I don't. Well, I don't know if he didn't vow to do it tonight. Not to do it tonight. So he makes no promises. Okay. So, but I think that's part of it. Harv is the end result of a man's wisdom is that they are happier most of the time. I'm going to throw, this throws a monkey wrench into itself, by the way, when we look at this. Um, And maybe we'll get to that. Does it matter? Yes, I see your point. But if you interpret the thing properly, whether it be evil or good, a wise person is usually going to be able to walk circumspectly, redeeming the time for the days are evil, right? You know, walk around the thing that's evil. Therefore, they end up in a good place. Therefore, they're much more able to smile. Or they interpret it well, and things go well with them in that way. So, the other thing, too, is to remember that in the Old Testament that much of the promises um, of blessing were material to those who followed God. So they're, they're, I, think, I think either way would apply on that bill. Um, whether it be good or bad doesn't matter because the wise person knows how to navigate the issue. Um, Moses is another one. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 25, it talks about his face shining. Why did his face shine? Talking about Stephen. Mm -hmm. That's the story about Stephen. Stephen, who was taken to the Sanhedrin, and they killed him. They executed him. And he, he gives this blistering sermon. And he kind of fulfills what was, actually I'm stealing my own notes for, but thanks for that, Jeff. But I'm stealing my own notes, but 
um, he thought it was better to obey God rather than man. And um, which we're going to rub up against that in just a minute. But, yeah, I think with, with Moses, he, he was in the presence of God. He was on Sinai, and he was there for 40 days, 40 nights. And his face shined because he had been in God's presence. But could you imagine the... Now, the thing that Moses fascinates me because he writes in Torah that Moses was the meekest man who ever walked the face of the earth. He wrote, so, essentially, he wrote that about himself. Now, there's argument about that, but I think he wrote that about himself and uh, because it was true. And, but could you imagine, nobody wanted to go up to Sinai. Now, they were prohibited anyway, but essentially Israel said to Moses, you go up there and you go talk to this guy, God, right? You go talk, because we're scared to death. So he had to go up there by himself. Joshua went about halfway and stayed, but he went up to the mountaintop by himself. And, and to experience the fear of God and to have that fear of God, to be in God's presence, and then to have, after the destruction of the tablets and, and the cleaning up the mess after they had danced around the golden calf, God sticks him in the cleft of the rock, and he comes down and declares his glory in Exodus chapter 33, I believe, 33, 34. And so, um, and to be there where essentially God puts his hand over Moses as he passes by to protect him from getting, I don't know what, another way to say it, but to be getting vaporized from being exposed physically to the glory of God. And then releases his hand and, he's, and Moses sees his afterglow. And, and what an incredible um, fear of God. And then to be a babysitter for 40 years, the poor guy, um, which is what he was, you know, leading the people through the desert and waiting for all the old people to die off, right, so the younger generation could go into the uh, promised land. So, um, and then he says, verse 2, I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing. For he does whatever pleases him. That is, the king does whatever pleases him. Keep his commandments. That word uh, commandments is, is um, oh, wrong, wrong verse. I haven't gotten there yet. Um, keep the king's commandments because you gain an oath, oath to God. And don't be hasty to go from his presence and do not take your stand for an evil thing. Now, are we, are we having a contradiction here? No, if you have a good king. Um, what if you don't have a good king? Now, what do you do? Okay, render to Caesar. Let's do Caesar. Jesus taught us that. What do you do if you're in your 1940s and you realize you have a madman controlling your country? Yeah, what do you do with that? You know, and, you know, um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor, uh, 
was put to death for his role in the attempt of assassinating Hitler. And Hitler went, after that assassination attempt, I did some reading on this today because I got fascinated. Hitler went on a rampage in just killing people, of his own people, left and right. You know where the, the old the, the Hebrew saying that it was safer to be a pig in the uh, in the um, corrals, the, the the stables of Herod, than to be one of his wives or to be one of his family members because Herod was so jealous. He any time he thought somebody was going to usurp his power, he would put him to death, particularly some of his wives. So it was safer to be a pig in his stable or his his than it would be to, to, to be one of his relatives. Well, Hitler just went off that, in that way. Of course, he really did that long before. But, I mean, he, he upped the ante. So what do you do if you're a Christian and you find yourself in that scenario? Because there were. I think of the Nuremberg trials. One of their defenses was we were just obeying orders. It didn't work for some of them. They charged them, they charged them with violating natural law and executed some of them. Um, but how do you square this verse? Because remember, during this time, the king's word was absolute. There was no Supreme Court. There was no Congress. There was the king and his advisors. And you leave the consequences. Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. Peter and John get dragged before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 3 because they had healed a man. And they were forbidden to speak in the name of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 3, I think it's Peter says, we cannot help but to, to I'm paraphrasing, okay, but we cannot help but to to share that which we have seen. And so they go out and they're preaching again. What happens in Acts chapter 4? They get arrested again. And they're before the Sanhedrin. Now, remember, the Sanhedrin was law. All right? They were, they were, they were, they were uh, the law of that time. And it was the same group that Jeff referred to, but he was referring to Stephen before the Sanhedrin. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter says, if, uh, if it is right to obey God rather than man, or he just comes out and says, uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 20, 29, he says, we ought to obey. I got the, it's Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, not 3 and 4, excuse me. I got the, the chapters mixed up. Uh, we ought to obey God rather than man. Is that in all of it, it's about obeying God. Because Romans 13 uh, Romans 13 tells us to, that we are subject uh, to the authorities. Um, the uh, the no, I, well, well, let me throw this. This is good stuff, uh, Harv, because the Quakers during the French-Indian War, that, that they were colonists in 
the home of Billy, Billy Penn, Pennsylvania. Okay, uh, you might have heard of John Woolman, uh, who was a, a who wrote extensively. Uh, he was a Quaker. They were opposed to paying taxes to support the British and colonist armies to fight against the French and the Indians because they thought it was immoral and it would cause undue loss of life. Yeah. I, I, I can't fault it. You know, um, It's never an easy answer, especially when you're sitting in a room filled with veterans, one being myself, right? But it's never an easy answer. Um, but I, uh, I was exposed to some things that I just shook my head, and I'm sure all of you guys were as well, that you're just like, I can't believe this is happening, and what do you do with it? You know, and, and, and then do you want to be a sacrificial lamb? Um, for that type of thing as well. And so this isn't, yeah, render unto Caesar, that's pretty easy to pay in taxes. And Brian, if you, uh, if you come up with something that we don't have to pay taxes, I'll let you teach that Sunday morning or Wednesday night, whichever you prefer. But, you know, and, and so part of it, it, it it's even, because uh, I don't like the way my tax money is being spent. What was the first thing that Barack Obama did after he was inaugurated? He signed legislation approving funding, basically for uh, international funding of abortions. If you remember that, that was the first thing he did. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, well, I won't say what I was, but it was like, you got to be kidding me. Of all the things that you do as a precedent-setting agenda. Kenneth. So how would you then, what would be your response to John Woolman and his writings refusing to pay taxes to the Brits because uh, they were fighting wars? Okay, well, but in a nutshell, the Quakers refused to pay taxes to the English uh, because they did not want to finance the French-Indian War. They were required to pay taxes, and they were also, they, they had a, a very different form, but a very legal form of the draft back then. How do you negotiate this in democracy? Because was there, when, the, when this is Old Testament, doggone, um, 900 B.C., right around there somewhere? So it might have been before democracy was even conceived, which basically you see the roots of it in, in the city-states in Greece. Athens and Sp- even, well, Sparta was never a democracy, but anyway. Um, but yeah, how do you ne- negotiate this in 2023? There is, and this could take us back into verse 27 of chapter 7. When you're adding one thing to another to find out the reason, but my soul still seeks, but I can't find. So I, get, I think you do pray, and you do pray, and um, that's where, for me, 
I'm always careful when someone tells me God told them. Now, do I always believe that God told them? No. So, if you want to tell me God told you, I'm not also saying I'm not necessarily going to not believe you. But I wasn't there when God told you. And, I, I mean, I, I came across a situation recently where somebody, and, and I could tell that they were offended because I, I didn't really buy into what they were telling me. And, and it, it bothered them. Um, but here you're with the king who, if you are his counselor, and we're going to sum this up and do three verses tonight, well, three new verses, um, because four through nine is really all one thought. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to blow through that a little bit faster next week. But do not be, do not be hasty to go from his presence. From the king's presence. Why? Because you still have the opportunity for influence. But do not take your stand for an evil thing. This goes back to interpreting of a thing. In this case, it's an evil thing. And do not take your stand for an evil thing. So, all of a sudden, what that's doing, that's, if, if you're serving an evil king this, or a dictator of any type, this is putting you all of a sudden in a very difficult position. Which, if any of your military experience was like mine, you understand how that felt from time to time. Because the individual that you worked for and what they were all about. Um, Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. He does whatever pleases him. That's what kings do. That's what a lot of commanders do, base commanders, captains of the ships. Um, it's what a lot of pastors do. Uh, real prevalent in the movement that I came out of, or we came out of, uh, that all of us used to be a part of. Real prevalent. Um, and the, 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 the stories and the people that I know that were victimized because of this. And wanting to do the right thing for the right reason. And they got rolled over by somebody who was incredibly ambitious. And um, I've seen it even in groups of pastors. And you guys think I'm kidding you when I said I want to get out of the pastor section of heaven. But I'm, trust me, it, I definitely that's where I don't want to be. I want to be in general population. Um, but where the word of the king is, is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Ever tried to do that to a king? Ever worked for somebody or who thought they were a king or a queen? I'm sure we all have worked for somebody who thought they were a king or a queen in some way, some shape, some form, some place. 
And when you say to them, what are you doing? They go ballistic, don't they? And it doesn't matter. I mean, I've seen, Mary experienced it where she worked um, in a hospital. And, uh, you know, hospitals, my mom worked in a hospital. It, it drove her nuts. Yeah. No. No. Protestants. But not Quaker. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, regular hospitals. But no, yeah, it's so... It, I think we can look at this in, in dealing with authority. You know, um, we had to get the blessing of the planning commission to, to move into this building 14, 15 years ago. It's been that long. And we had to spend a considerable amount of money to do a report that they thumbed through. And, okay, that makes sense. But, you know, but we had to stay in their good graces. And it was they, you know, they had to make an official decision with the planning commission about whether we, because we were out of code, to be in here. This, this or zoning. This is not an area that's zoned for churches, so we have a, a conditional use permit, and we also have a, thanks to Art. Some of you know Art. Uh, we have a certificate of occupancy that proves that we can stay in here, um, but we had to be in good graces for those people, and they were actually very easy to get along with. And so God gave us favor with them. But it's not always the case. And that's where, I, I, I like what you said, Brian, was the, the idea of this, how much we have to be in prayer concerning these convictions. And are these convictions things that we are being caught up in? By the, the, the winds of public opinion? Are they just our own personal preferences? Or are they convictions that are rooted in the Spirit of God? And that's what I think we have to ask ourselves. 